Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Audrey Barria and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Audrey Barria. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you on board. We come to you every week with the discussion of one or more medical issues, ways in which we can be healthier, live longer, all of it aimed at people who are Medicare eligible, more younger. We don't limit it to just seniors, but that's our main focus. And we're delighted to have with us today, pinch hitting as our guest co-host, Desiree Murray. Desiree is a nurse practitioner at WellMed Town Center in Mansfield, Texas, earned her bachelor's in nursing from Abilene Christian University and her master's in nursing from the University of Texas at Arlington. Desiree graduated from nursing school on the dean's list. And as a family nurse practitioner, she cares for patients for their entire lives from newborns to 99 years old and older. She has experience in urgent care as well. Desiree, by the way, in 2015, received a citizen's award from the city of Capel for performing the Heimlich maneuver on someone and saved that person's life. And it turned out it's an incredible story. So Desiree, thanks for being with us. We're gonna to talk today about Alzheimer's disease, but before we do that, you were telling me off the air uh, that at a restaurant, a woman at a table near you with some kids around her, you noticed she was choking. Ultimately, you do the Heimlich maneuver, you save her life. And it turned out uh, her husband had recently passed away and, and it was her and her kids. And without her, the kids would have had nobody. Yes, that is so true, Ron. That moment is a moment I will never forget. And I was so happy to be there. The family was so happy to still have their mother. Um, if I had to do it again, I would be ready. That's cool. And we're delighted to hear that story. I want to take a moment and introduce our guest today as we take a look at uh, what is, of course, a ticking time bomb for all kinds of folks as we age and that's Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Shazia Nazir is a physician at the South Lake Medical Center in Claremont, Florida. She earns her Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery degree from Khyber Medical College in Peshawar, Pakistan. Completed her internship and residency in internal medicine at Brookdale Hospital. Served as a full-time hospitalist at Florida Hospital. Was past chair of the Department of Medicine at South Lake Hospital and served on the boards of multiple accountable care organizations. She is board certified in internal medicine. And when she's not playing doctor, she loves to travel and loves to hike. And Dr. Nazir, thanks for joining us on Docs in a Pod. You're most welcome, my pleasure. Talk to us about Alzheimer's disease. All of us know everything about it and nothing about it. Yeah, so when we had this discussion about the podcast and I was looking for uh, the topic that I wanted to discuss. And I realized that being in an area where I am in Florida, where I have an aging population and about the 16 years that I've been practicing outpatient here, I have seen my patients grow with us and I have seen them. And as we have uh, modern medicine um, playing a fantastic role, people whose life expectancy was more in their 70s and maximum 80s are living well into their 90s. And with that comes some other issues and some other challenges. So we are seeing more and more 
patients that are living long enough and uh, then get their memory uh, issues come to front and then a lot of them go on to develop Alzheimer's. So I have that personal interest in it because I've seen those people. And uh, so what we do here with longevity, it comes. The good news about Alzheimer's is that for the longest, uh, we didn't have anything. We couldn't diagnose it. You know, we just would, I mean, for the first 10 years of my practice, uh, like here, I was diagnosing them just clinically. You know, you discuss with them and you say, okay, it looks like Alzheimer's. Of course, you do some basic tests. So right now, when we are doing wellness visits every year, we are doing some mini COX test, which is a mini COG uh, function test. And if they fail that screening, then we go on and do a couple of other standardized tests depending on their education level and all that. And if they fail those, it used to be that I would just empirically start them on medication. But now, things that were only available in research places have now come to the uh, to mainstream. So now we can send them for some brain PET scans, and which can give us an idea if they have the true Alzheimer's kind of dementia or what parts of their brain are uh, affected. And then we treat we start the treatment. All right, now hold I that thought. To... Hold that thought. I'm going to come right back to you. But I, I'm going to let folks who may have just joined us know you're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host today, Desiree Murray, nurse practitioner at the WellMed Town Center in Mansfield, Texas, and our special guest, Dr. Shazia Nazir, who is a physician in South Lake Medical Center in Claremont, Florida. And we're talking about dementia and Alzheimer's. And I want to come back to something you said. Uh, Dr. Nazir, and that is uh, the many cognitive tests that may be done in a clinic. Uh, before I go for my regular checkup, and I happen to be a well-med patient, I spend hours practicing how to draw a clock <laughs> so I know where all, all the arms go because they're going to ask me that, right? Yes, yes. and you're now, not alone. People got it. You would it. think it's a simple thing to draw a clock, but it's not. No. So when we do the mini cog, we are testing two, uh, two of your uh, – uh, capabilities of the brain. One is the executive function, and that's the clock draw. So it looks a simple thing, uh, but putting the round clock or the square clock and then putting those numbers in your mind at the right place and then putting those hands, it requires a lot of executive functioning of your brain. Uh, and the other part of the mini cog is, of course, we give you three words and then we ask you, which is the memory part of your brain. Usually in Alzheimer's, the memory part is the first one to go. That is affected first. And then the second part is executive. So when somebody's unable to draw a clock, especially in our current elder population that has been growing up with those, you know. Analog clocks. Clock, yeah. That, that's, uh, people joke about it, you know, they want whatever, but it's really concerning. And then we do further testing. I mean, I do feel moving forward for our generation and generation below me will have to change the mini clock test because nobody knows how to read clocks. I will be surprised if my children know how to read a clock. Yeah, they're right. all digital. Everything right. is digital, was, right? Yeah. 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 So we'll have to change the mini clock. But that's a very good screening test. And I really, really appreciate uh, that we 
created this wellness visits and, uh, you know, with all the screenings and we have become more organized. And I think, uh, honestly, if we don't have these tests, most of these people will go years before they will be diagnosed because they now, can... Is there, yeah. Pardon me for interrupting, but is there an advantage uh, to identifying Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia early? Years ago, uh, my dad, who ultimately uh, developed dementia, uh, Alzheimer's uh, uh, finally passed away. Uh, he didn't want to go for testing. He was a pharmacist, very educated, very smart. Uh, and he said, you know, I don't want to know. Now, that mm -hmm. was at a time when there were no treatments. Right. So Today, there, are treatments, there are treatments available. We have two specific kind of medicines that we use for Alzheimer's or any kind of dementia. And I'll be honest with you, I just give it to everyone to try because we still at only at the tip of the iceberg. We don't know who's going to respond to the medicine, who's not going to respond to the medicines. So once we diagnose dementia of any sorts, we treat with those two medication. And what are those? And those are, one of them is, uh, Aricept, Donapazil, or um, Exelon patches, and the other is Mementine. And they both work from two different kind of uh, pathways. So that's my plan. Like when I get a patient who is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, like I, I diagnose, I screen them, I put them on medication. Even the people that have very strong family history of Alzheimer's, and at their first indication that they are having some memory issues, I try to put them on it. And in my experience, I have patients that have been on medicines for 10 to 12 years, and they're still doing pretty well. I have some patients, when I put them on Donepazil, they come and I bring them back next month, and they feel, they say, oh, doctor, a fog is lifted. I feel that a fog is lifted. That's uh, wonderful. Yeah, to me, that's, that is what I feel that, okay, this person is going to do well with the medication. Unfortunately, over the years, I had two or three people that had a very rapidly progressive uh, Alzheimer's. And no matter what you throw at them, nothing works. And they just progress. And But those are uh, not as common. But that within two, three years, they progress to unfortunate, ultimate passing away. So now, the FDA, I'm sorry. The FDA I just approved a new drug, right? Yes. So I was coming to the next point. And Desiree, I'm sorry if you wanted to ask something. No, that's no, okay. Continue. Go ahead, Desiree. Okay. Well, I was just curious, what percentage of your patients uh, develop Alzheimer's? You know, I, I, I'm i in Claremont, Florida. So it's like, I would say, uh, it's hard to put percentage, but at least three, three to four percent, I would say, oh, as a conservative stuff. Um, as far as the new medicines and clinical studies are concerned, so the last, because remember this medicine that they just FDA approved, Lequembi, it's the same kind of molecule that was um, approved about a year and a half ago. And then Medicare had a problem with that. And then they pushed it back into the clinical study uh, system. So I joined some clinical research companies. So now when I have my patients, I offer them to go and be evaluated at the clinical research place and see if they want to be part of it and be put on it. But of course, starting last week, now that it's available outside of the clinical research, 
uh, we'll be starting them on pay. You know, it's very, pay. very expensive, is it not? It is extremely expensive. And that's why sometimes sending them to the clinical study is the best option because they get compensated for the, you know, uh, uh, their transportation and tests and stuff that they don't have to pay for all that. But once they lose that clinical uh, status, they have to pay for the drug. They will, of course. If But I mean, I'm pretty sure there's still clinical studies going around. And I mean, that was the reason why Medicare um, uh, cost went up. The, pa the patients were being cost more for Medicare just when this medicine was approved a year and a half ago. So... But, you know, things will get better. I mean, it's it's very exciting for me to see that there are new medication. And also remember, this problem is going to become more prevalent as we are, uh, as we have counteracted uh, the heart disease with bypass and stents and keeping people alive for longer. Now we are almost winning the war, war on cancer with our immunotherapy. And most more people, more and more people in stage four cancers are living longer. So that's so the good next news. Step would, absolutely. The good news and the bad news is okay, live longer, but you may get Alzheimer's. True. Or any. All right, hold on. We're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna come right back to you if you just joined us. Oh, you're riding along with us. This is Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with our special guest down in Claremont, Florida, Doctor Shazir, Doctor Shazia Nazir. We're delighted to have her with us. And our co-host today is Desiree Murray, a nurse practitioner. You find her at the WellMed Clinic in Mansfield, Texas. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson from my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection, too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality health care with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. We're so pleased you were sticking with us right here on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking about Alzheimer's disease and new treatments and new promise. Desiree Murray, a nurse practitioner, is our co-host today. And we're talking from down in the great state of Florida with a specialist in internal medicine, Dr. Shazia Nazir. And she is with the South Lake Medical Center in Claremont. And Dr. Nazir, we were talking a moment ago about the new drug just approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Remind us, what is it and, and how much promise does it hold? So it's a medicine, uh, it's called Lekembi. The brand name is Lekembi. And it's been around for about two, three years. It was approved a little while ago, but then it was put back into clinical studies. And the reason was the expense of the medicine, as well as it had some side effects of uh, small intracranial bleeds. So that's what the concern was. But now they have found that those bleeds are not uh, life-threatening and, you know, most people can tolerate the medicine and the medicines have helped a lot of people. There is a genetic component to this uh, medicine and the treatment of Alzheimer's. So we'll have to just kind of uh, uh, sit back and see what the guidelines come out as, as to, because as, as I said, the expense and the potential side effects are such 
that I don't think it will be available for everyone. I think it will be a very niche uh, group of people that will have certain um, genetic components to it. And it has to be monitored very, very closely. So we'll see the promise of it. But right now it is available and that's a fantastic first step. And as always, when a new medicine come out and the research and the science behind it is, is already matured, then there will be a lot more. And the more research goes, the less expensive they become and more available they become. So this is the first step in a, in, in a right direction. And Desiree, do you get questions from your patients about treatment for Alzheimer's and new medication? Um, I, I do. I have a very small percentage of patients with Alzheimer's. Um, it is a, a tough disease process. My, my difficulty is explaining to the family what's going on um, and how real this is. Do you experience uh, difficulty with the family understanding the disease process of Alzheimer's, Dr. Nazir? So that was my next uh, little point that I had put myself to as a reminder to discuss. And I do, so when I'm talking to people with Alzheimer's, with family members, spouse or children, depending on the age and situation, I always tell them that it's not a disease of one person. It's a disease of the whole family or it's disease of the whole household. And of course, it's very frustrating for the patient in the beginning part of Alzheimer's because they are aware that they are deficient in things and it gets very frustrating. But as it progresses, the patient becomes actually uh, unaware of what they're going through. And then it becomes a caretaker problem because they are the ones who have to answer the same question 100 times or they're the ones who have to worry about the safety, or they're the ones, you know, and it's very frustrating for them. So right in the beginning of the disease, I start counseling when they come together about this, and we discuss about all kinds of ways to uh, improve communication at home. So like I always, I always recommend to have a, a whiteboard in the kitchen and in the bedroom where they write their routine for the next day. So that patient, when they're still aware of getting into that routine, they get used to looking at that whiteboard so they are aware of the day. You know what I mean? Depending on the Absolutely. situation. Yeah, and that's always, very helpful. Yeah, and I always recommend them to join some kind of Alzheimer's support group or Alzheimer's caretaker support group because that's where they learn a lot from each other. And I learn a lot from my patient's caregiver because we discuss it as a team. So. Sure. So we are a team, uh, the caregiver, the doctor, your staff at the office, the nurses, your medical assistant. So it's a team approach to Alzheimer's and community makes a big part of that team. So sure. finding those resources in your community to help aging spouse. You know, the problem is when people are living, we are a nuclear kind of society. So I have a lot of elder husband and wife living together and it's like Sometimes it's very unfortunate, but it's like blind leading the blind. Sure. I have and noticed the improvement, um, sorry, Dr. Nazir, with the medications of slowing the progression of the disease process, the Aricep and Denepazil. I'm not familiar with this new drug, so I'm learning today along with sure. Ron 
about this drug is I do get asked often, are there other options? But I I do notice uh, improvement with these drugs with the slowing of the disease process along with those um, brain-stimulating activities, the memory boards, the whiteboards, puzzles, and um, word searches and things like that. Do you share that with your patients too? Absolutely. The mental uh, activity plus also something that is like everybody talks about Alzheimer's and puzzles and crosswords and, you know, all those games, which is fantastic. Everybody needs to be continuing to. And I recommend reading a lot because for reading, you have to remember that memory from last page, the comprehension to be able to build that. Right. But something that's actually even more important in studies is physical activity. People who are physically active in Alzheimer's tend to do better. As far as your question about medication helping or not helping, I do believe that, uh, again, for lack of long-term data, because as I said, Alzheimer's is the new war that we are going to face. So in the next 10 to 20 years, I expect a lot more data coming onto it. But in my personal grassroots uh, you know, experience, and I always believe that we providers at grassroots are always 10 years ahead of the data. So I have my own data in my head. So <laughs> in my experience, the, these medicines do help. I think they talk definitely- to us, uh, Talk to us a little bit about uh, patients and families where you first have a suspicion that there may be dementia. Uh, are they in denial or do they know? So most of the time they know. And the reason is either it's, the patient who brings it to my attention. So see, there are three ways we diagnose, right? One is that most common is that the patient comes and tells me that doctor, my memory is not, you know, and most of older people talk about memory. And I then ask them specific targeted questions as to what, tell me an example of your memory issue. So if it's something like I lost my keys, so I said all your peers do that, right? So that's not Alzheimer's. I was just but, about to ask because I, I forget where I put mine sometimes. Does that mean I'm going exactly, to get it? But, you know, <laughs> that's a different discussion, Desi, and we'll talk about it sometime. <laughs> it's about our brains with all the smartphones and smart technology and the amount of information we are getting in. Our brains will work totally different, and our children's brain will work totally different. But, um, yeah, so, like, I ask those questions about, uh, you know, what, so that's one way of me knowing, and then I work it out. Second most common thing is the children or the spouse comes and talks about it, either in front of the patient or sends me a little message on the side because the patient is in denial. So then I have to approach it more sensitively, and we discuss, and then you know we take it from there. And the third way, which happens every so often, not very commonly, but that's on... Uh, mini cog on screening that I pick something that I did not expect. And then when I do not expect, then, you know, I say, oh, listen, the clock and they try to minimize it. And they say, oh, no, this is nothing. I said, no, it's nothing. But let's just check it. And a lot of times we check the next test, uh, either mini mental or mocha, and they're fine. You know, it was just like a little brain thing or they're not good at drawing or something. So you can still weed them out. So, yeah, so coming back to, Ron, your question about how you approach the patient. So it's usually a team approach, and it takes one or two visits, depending on how it started. 
And but I do this. I talk about all these other extra things about community, uh, you know, support group, having empathy, showing your empathy to your caretaker is very important in a doctor's office. And for them not to feel alone in that fight. Because a lot of times as dementia advances, patient is in a good place because they're happy. If they're eating and they're most of the time pleasant, unless it's frontotemporal, and then that's a different story. So they're in a good place. It's the caretaker. So the caretaker, I would say for everyone that's in healthcare, whether it's your front office, nurses, MAs, doctors, nurse practitioners, not a bad idea to every so often give them a little hug because they need it. It's, I agree with you, Dr. Nazir. It's a very tough process for the it's family. Very you love your loved one. You don't want to uh, wish any ill on them, but it's exhausting. All right. Got to end it right there. We are flat out of time, I'm sorry to say. And uh, I really, really appreciate your time. For our co-host, Desiree Murray, thank you. And for Dr. Shazia Nazir, thank you so much for being with us. You've been listening to Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Natalie Ibarra. And associate producer is Isaac Wilker. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Audrey Baria and Ron Aaron.